The voice of Motown, West Virginia's leader in news, analysis, and rumors, proudly presents the Voice of Motown podcast, featuring your boys, Brandon and Tyler. Take it away, gentlemen. This is the Voice of Motown podcast. I'm Tyler Peppy. And I'm Brandon Cork, and this is the WVU Sports Podcast by two suffering WVU fans. All right, we have some football and basketball topics to discuss, and we have two topics that are very sad, but for two completely different reasons that we are going to cover as well. Before we dive into all that, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. It's the Voice of Motown podcast. We're trying to get those numbers up, so we would greatly appreciate the support. Another thing we really want to encourage during this time of the year and for that matter, any time of the year, is fan interaction. Let us know what topics you want us to cover for upcoming episodes or what guests you would like us to have on. Um, we love hearing your input, so reach out to us any way you can. Comment section, social media, whatever. Uh, so let's dive right into it. Um, I know this is a West Virginia podcast, but I wanted to start the show tonight discussing Mike Leach. Um, Coach Leach sadly passed away earlier today due to complications related to a heart condition. Um, this was sudden, and we obviously feel for his family. Um, you know, just thinking about him, this this man was such a legend. His his contributions to the game and his sense of humor as well is something every fan wants in their head coach. And whether he coaches your favorite team or not, Mike Leach is one of those rare personalities that almost every fan loves to watch and root for. Um, he was one of a kind and coach Leach is definitely going to be sadly missed. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he definitely seemed like a great person. Um, I loved reading all the stories that were coming out from guys like Lincoln Riley and others who have worked with him. Um, I know I read a, um, you know, a post earlier today about how he had a player on, I forget which team it was, um, where he told the player, you know, I don't think you're getting any playing time, but I want you to come on as a graduate coach. And the guy left, was all mad, and came back the next day. And it said that coach was Lincoln Riley. And um, I thought that was really interesting. I mean, you know, he was always straightforward with people. He was funny. Um, you know, he just seemed super personable. And he was really good at – he was a fantastic offensive coach. I mean, those years where he was at Texas Tech with Graham Harrell, uh, Michael Crabtree – um, numerous others, um, you know, produce, he has a really nice coaching tree as well. Dana, obviously, um, is a member of his coaching tree, Cliff Kingsbury. Um, you know, he's just been wildly successful and had a huge impact on college football. And it's crazy to think that he's gone, especially at, I think he was only 61. That's way too young. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, whenever I heard the news, I just couldn't, I couldn't believe that he was that close and you know i i was thinking that maybe he would bounce back but um just wasn't in the cards yeah yeah and you really touched on everything um now i i understand mike leach didn't invent the air raid offense that credit probably goes to guys like uh lavelle edwards and hal mummy um who leach has close ties with i mean uh leach played under Edwards. He coached with mummy, but uh, Mike Leach without a doubt took the air raid concept to the next level. His influence on the game of football. I mean, we'll be seeing that for years to come. And you touched on the countless number of coaches 
from his coaching tree that um, will definitely highlight his impact on the game for years and years to come. Um, but yeah, I mean, the funny thing is you mentioned like all these funny stories and the, the Lincoln Riley one, if you guys haven't seen it floating around on social media, there's countless ones exactly like it. But that one in particular was uh, Coach Leach was talking on his cell phone while Lincoln was working pretty close to him. And uh, he just kept talking for like an hour and the call dropped and he called the guy back and just kept talking. And then when he finally gets off the phone after over an hour later, Lincoln goes, who were you talking to that long? And he goes, oh, the guy had a wrong number. (laughs) (laughs) And that just highlights, you know, Mike Leach. His personality is just so infectious and he could talk to anyone. I mean, there was just so many stories similar to that where they had one run in with him. And he would talk your ear off as if you were long lost friends. And so you can understand why so many fans um, had good memories of him with his interviews and his colorful personality. It's uh, it's just a shame that uh, this is how it ended because it was very sudden and everyone's kind of in shock by it. Yeah, yeah. He's definitely one of a kind and it's hard to find a personality in nowadays college athletics. I mean, even... Someone like a Mike Gundy, who was famous for his, you know, I'm a man speech. You know, he wasn't someone who was always, um, you know, sound biteable, if that's a word. Um, I mean, obviously, in NFL, you have guys like Mike Tomlin and Bill Belichick, and those those figures are a lot more eminent. But in college football, it really doesn't exist. So I feel like Mike Leach is is kind of a one one of one. And, you know, it's going to be a while before we come across anyone who kind of combines that. um personality along with that brain he has in terms of understanding the game and adapting it to be a successful coach. Yeah, I'm with you. And in today's world where everyone's scared to say the wrong thing and get in trouble, you just hear constant cookie cutter answers. He really was one of a kind because you could never predict what his answer was going to be to even, you know, running off the field at halftime. He had a famous one this year with a, with a reporter. Um, just countless ones. And to kind of wrap this up, I'll give you guys one other uh, story that I saw a reporter say. Apparently, this reporter, 20 years ago, his dad saw the coaches at Oklahoma running back to the facility, and he offered Leach a ride. And Leach said, yeah, I'm not going to run. I'll take a ride. And it turns (laughs) out he sat in the guy's car and just talked his ear off for an hour all about how it's good to raise your kids in an apartment complex. There's pools, there's tennis courts, there's other people there to interact with. And so this reporter who now covers sports happened to have an interview with Mike Leach. And he said, hey, my dad said he had this long conversation with you about having apartments in Oklahoma and how it's great. And Mike Leach says, oh, yeah, I remember your dad and kept going on about it. And the reporter's thinking, oh, he's just being nice. He doesn't remember my dad from 20 years ago. And then he wraps up the interview saying, hey, tell your dad, thanks for the... So all the while, (laughs) he remembered that one random conversation he had, which just really shows how genuine he was with these conversations. He wasn't just some insane old man rambling for an hour. (laughs) If he was talking to you, you know, it was genuine and he would remember you, which I thought that was just... Kind of, I, I quit reading all the stories after that because I thought, oh, that's perfect right there. It, it can't get much better than that. Yeah, that, that's a great story. And, you know, um, I, I think that's one benefit of social media nowadays is you get to read all these interactions. And it's so 
much more public in kind of understanding the deep down relationship people had with other people and the impact that they had on them. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm glad that everyone's getting the stories out there because they're good reads, but, you know, unfortunately it'd be great to have Mike Leach back um, because, you know, just gone too young. And like we said, just one of a kind. Yeah. Yeah. Perfectly said. Uh, so rest easy, Mike Leach. Let's move on to West Virginia news. Uh, we'll start with the big news that broke yesterday. Caden Prather enters the transfer portal. Um, I was really hoping the Mountaineers made it out of the portal virtually unscathed because prior to Monday, I thought they were doing pretty good. You know, um, they, they lost some, you know, uh, Charles Woods obviously kind of hurt. But other than that, you know, we could deal with a lot of those transfers. But this was a huge blow, not only because Caden Prather is such a great athlete, but West Virginia is so thin at wide receiver with the departures of Bryce Ford Wheaton and Sam James to the NFL draft, then Reese Smith, now Caden Prather are going to the portal. You know, that's your top four wide receivers during the 2022 season, just gone like that. So um, very disappointing to see. What are your thoughts on Caden Prather transferring? Yeah, um, I, I don't have much to say about it. Oh, wait, I just got a notification on my phone it says wvu is going to be running a wishbone offense next year <laughs> um so, uh but yeah i was super disappointed about caden prather leaving i mean if you guys listen to podcasts from last year I, I was always of the mind that you know he was the most talented receiver on the team and he should have been playing from day one um and then in this year I, i've made several several comments about how caden prather was the best receiver on the team and i still believe that um, you just don't find guys who are six foot four, 220 pounds and can run like a four, 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 five, 40. Those guys don't grow on trees. And I feel like, you know, replacing that is going to be difficult. I mean, even if you go out to the transfer portal, you know, I was looking today at, at some of the guys that were out there and, you know, some of the top rated guys are like six, one, one ninety five, And, you know, they've had somewhat decent years. I mean, maybe the best receiver is a former WBU guy and Allie Jennings who just committed to Virginia tech. So, you know, are you going to get someone who has the potential of a Caden Prather, who has the ability, if used correctly, um, to be a thousand yard receiver at least and really be a matchup nightmare for defensive players? And I just don't think that you can get that right now. You know, I know we do have a decent recruiting class coming in, but right now is what matters for Neil Brown in his future. Yeah, you're right. And, you know, last year, um, Sam Brown transferred out and Caden Prather looking at those two guys at the beginning of the 2021 season, I thought the future was pretty bright for West Virginia wide receivers. Cause they were both young. I thought they would fill right in after Bryce Ford Wheaton and Sam James left. And now, uh, we don't have any of them in, in this new world of college football where everyone's coming and going. Um, I say the only way we can fix this is the coaching staff will almost certainly have to look into the portal to make up for these departures. Right now, WVU is looking at Cortez Braham, Jeremiah Aaron, Preston Fox, and true freshman Rodney Gallagher to be very productive next season. And I'm sure one of these young guys like uh, Jarrell Williams could step up and be a nice player. Who knows? But um, WVU has to look to the portal to make up for this lack of depth. Uh, look at what happened to WVU secondary this year 
with the lack of depth and roster turnover. They can't afford to let that happen again at the wide receiver position with a potential young quarterback starting. Because if we don't go to the portal for a quarterback, you have Garrett Green and Nico Marshall who they don't have a ton of starts under their belt and they're going to need wide receivers to get open and bail them out from time to time. So they can't afford to, to let that happen again because um, more than likely, yeah, you're not going to have a, an experienced quarterback that's going to lift up your wide receivers. Um, so, yeah, you know, the the portal taketh and the portal giveth. <laughs> if they're going to take yeah. your guys, you have to look to replace them with equally good guys in the portal. Oh, for sure. I mean, you're going to have to. And, you know, looking at the guys who are left on the roster right now, you, you alluded to them. Jeremiah Aaron is, you know, he's a deep threat. You know, can he be a guy who exists, you know, in between the, the hashes? Can he run screens? Can he run slants? Or is he just a deep threat? You know, Cortez Braham, he, had, he was up and down last year. And if you told me that he was going to be the number one this year, uh, this upcoming season, I'd be worried. You know, I'm happy with him if he's the four or five, fourth or fifth guy. But any further than that, I, I don't feel comfortable with that. Um, Preston Fox, you know, he's a great spring game story, but can he be a number one? I don't know. Um, Rodney Gallagher is a slot guy. So, you know, he's going to be taking slot snaps there. He's not big enough to really play on the outside. And, you know, the other guys we have on the outside, Jarrell Williams, we don't know anything about. I know they said that he was a little skinny um, this year. So hopefully he put on, puts on some weight and can do something next year. Um, we also have Traylon Ray, who's um, ranked actually just under Rodney Gallagher um, in terms of rankings, um, recruiting rankings. And he's a four-star as well. He goes six, one and a half and 186. But again, it's a true freshman coming in. What's that going to contribute? And you know, that's where the value of keeping guys like Caden Prather is. I mean, even if, you know, you lose everyone else, you need at least one guy that you can rely on. And there's not a single guy on the roster. There's not a single guy that's coming in right now that can be um, a stabilizing force for this offense. And I, I think all of this is happening as a result of Neil Brown slash Graham Harrell or whoever's offense you want to call it it's offense and how up and down it is, how unexplosive it is and how, you know, the receivers just really aren't having great years under Neil Brown and Tyler. I know you pulled a few stats. Um, so I'll hand it off to you to talk about those. Cause I thought those were great to share. Yeah, I think you nail it. it. It seems like wide receivers have a hard time putting up big numbers at WVU during Neil Brown's tenure. And uh, here are the leading wide receivers in all four of his years. In 2019, Sam James had 677 receiving yards. 2020, uh, granted, you know, they didn't play as many games, but R Winston Wright had 553 yards. 2021, Winston Wright again had 688 and then in 2022, the best year we've seen a wide receiver have, Sam James had 745 receiving yards. Um, and that's the best we've seen under Neil Brown in one season. So these wide receivers can't even sniff 1,000 yards, it seems like, in Neil Brown's offenses. So um, granted, it, it looked better this year with Graham Harold's concept. But um, like you said, it's still lacking that home run threat. It's definitely not an offense that lets wide receivers shine. At least that's what we've seen so far. So I kind of understand the frustration. 
who knows? Caden Prather might be leaving for a big bag of money. He might be leaving because of what we're saying. You know, if, if you're a young wide receiver, you, you can't really put up stats that'll send you to the NFL. And um, it begs the question, is there something wrong with the system or is the talent, you know, just not there to let wide receivers put up big numbers? Um, I, I think the lack of quarterback talent over these last four years certainly has something to do with it. You're looking at Austin Kendall, Jared Dagey, and yeah, JT Daniels was good for the first half of the year. And you saw guys like Bryce Ford Wheaton were putting up big numbers, but then as he tailed off, um, you know, the wide receiver stats just weren't there. So, you know, overall, I would lean more towards it's a system problem. And it looks like the offense started to trend um, in the right direction with Graham. Like I said, hopefully WVU is able to hang on to Graham. Um, His name's been mentioned a lot for the North Texas job and other positions. I certainly don't trust Neil um, to take command of play calling again if he does bolt because if Graham does leave, who's Neil gonna get? Is he gonna bring in a guy who he trusts calling plays, or is he gonna bring in another yes man who just sits in the position while Neil is secretly calling the plays? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the latter is definitely worst case scenario. And if Neil is really coaching for his job, then you know, let him call plays again because then he'll just get fired. I mean. You can't really babysit him at this point in time. And that's kind of one of the reasons why, you know, I was against the I, the rumors that were going around um, about a month ago where it said Shane Lyons is going to bring back um, Neil Brown, but make him hire an entirely new staff. And, you know, it, it, just things like that are just, you're just babysitting a coach at that point. And if you have to babysit him, then you might as well just let him go. But um, yeah, I mean, it's hard to say. And I, I do think that Neil Brown has done a poor job of bringing in good receivers. I mean, you know, Caden Prather, I think was brought in under Neil Brown, but everyone else that has been productive under Neil Brown, Sam James, um, I believe Winston, Wright, Bryce Ford Wheaton, those guys all came before him. So, you know, he, he just doesn't have an eye. I mean, what other receiver has he recruited since he's been here? Who's actually, you know, started, I mean, Reese Smith hasn't started. I can't think of a single guy. So it, it comes down again to just the ability to identify talent, which it just doesn't seem like him or whoever was responsible for that um, hasn't had an eye for. Now, hopefully that looks like it may have changed with Rodney Gallagher and Traylon Ray coming in and Elijah Caldwell, but we'll see. I mean, recruiting rankers are just that. They're just rankings and kind of probabilities on whether they're going to be good or not. They could still fall on their face and not do anything. So um you know, I know a lot of people are, you know, it seems like some people are split on whether our receivers were, you know, good or not either because their lack of separation. But I also think it comes down to the system. You know, you have to be able to scheme guys open. And we've seen that with Dana offenses. Um, he was able to scheme guys open all the time. And for whatever reason, the offenses that Neil Brown or Graham Harrell has had just haven't been able to have that same effect. And, um, you know, it, it's hurting this offense. It's hurting the player retention and it's hurting the coach's job. So um, I'm really hoping that they have a plan up their sleeve because right now we have an offensive line and a whole bunch of running backs and not much else. 
Yeah, you're right. And, and Gallagher and Ray do look like promising guys. I mean, Ray was a guy that Tennessee wanted. And look at the year Tennessee just had, and he still picked WVU over them. So the future does look bright. But as you keep saying, it, it's it's do or die right now for Neil Brown. He he He's not getting any more leniency, I would think, with the new AD in there. So um, we'll see. I think a big reason why they're not creating separation is the lack of creativity which you only see like little spurts of like the lack of motion, the lack of hurry up. I feel like um, maybe with a running quarterback next season that that does open up a lot of possibilities and a lot uh, more threats that maybe could freeze a linebacker with the fear of a quarterback that can run that could maybe let someone open up right over top his head. Who knows? We've just had a lot of statues there lately. And I certainly think that is not helping the system at all. Yeah, I definitely think it makes things a little bit more difficult when you don't have guys who are super quick or super fast. I mean, you know, you talked about some of our most successful receivers at WVU and look back at Winston Wright. What made him great was how quick and shifty he was and how uh, his, his you know ability to get up to speed really quickly um, made him a difference maker. And that helped him get open a lot. And that's why he was targeted so much as he was just always open. Um, we don't really have the quick and shifty guys anymore. Um, and I, I think part of that is Neil Brown likes bigger receivers um, for better or for worse, but that doesn't mean that you can't call plays to get them open or to get them the ball in situations that benefit them. Um, you know, and I, I feel like we did that earlier in the season, you know, the, those quick out routes, those stop routes, those slant routes using their big bodies to um, shield off defenders and just catch the ball where no one else could catch it. But, um, you know, after a time, the defense has started adjusting to that, and then we didn't have a counter. And that's been the whole issue with Neil Brown and his coaching staff over the past four years is, you know, their first two drives are always really good. They're, you know, at the beginning it looks good, but they never have a counter punch. They never have a plan B, um, and they just can't adjust. And, you know, you have to do that. You have to be able to adjust and find a way to get your playmakers the ball, regardless what their weaknesses are. You need to scheme things to play to their strengths. And I just don't know why that's such a difficult concept, it seems, for some of the coaches at WVU. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. And just try to put like a positive spin on this segment. On the plus side, Rodney Gallagher did post that he is – Definitely 100% committed to WVU, and he's going to sign on December 21st, the early signing period. Um, so that is encouraging. Like we said, the future does seem bright. But then again, in this day of transfers, um, bringing in true freshmen who are very talented is exciting. But I'm trying to adjust how I feel about it because, as we know now, I mean, they could be gone in a year or two, and you could barely even see them in a West Virginia uniform. So who knows? I, I mean, the way college football is now, I'm just retrying. I'm trying to reprogram my brain about how I feel about certain things. Cause it's not how it used to be. Yeah. And I, I think it's interesting, you know, the way that WU leadership kind of framed bringing Neil back with the recruiting class and, you know, keeping things together and things like that. When, you know, more and more, it, it's just kind of ironic that it seems like the way for a program like WVU to succeed 
is to kill it in the transfer portal. And we see schools of similar size, WVU, like Kansas States and whatnot, doing great in the transfer portal and kind of hitting the JUCO ranks, going after the overlooked guys, going after the transfers and building teams like that. And, you know, if only we had a coach who did that before. Oh, we had Dana who did exactly that. And everyone complained about it. And, um, you know, this isn't to say bring back Dana. He obviously has his issues and he's not doing a great job at Houston right now. But, you know, that's the kind of mindset that I think, you know, to your point, Tyler, it's a great point that, you know, you have to shift your mindset and not just think of, hey, we brought in this new batch of 2018 year olds. I can't wait to see them when they're 22 and they're superstars because the chances of seeing all 20 kids until they're 22 years old just isn't going to happen anymore. You might get five of them if you're lucky. Um, but the the real benefit of the transfer portal is schools like WVU need to go out there and get the best talent and, you know, try to figure out ways to fill holes that way. And obviously recruiting is still important, but you got to be able to balance that. And I think WVU can do that. They just need to shift their mindset and be able to be aggressive and identify talent. And, you know, looking back at last year, it's really clear that it didn't really seem like WVU had a vision and really didn't have an idea for what type of guys they needed and what level of guys they needed because we just went after a whole bunch of small school guys and they didn't really do great. And it didn't help our defense at all when we brought those guys in. So I'm really hoping that we're looking at things through a different lens and we're bringing in guys who didn't look good against, you know, a division lower uh, of talent and actually look at guys who we have a better amount of certainty can project to compete against power five opponents regularly. Yeah, I'm with you. And I'm going to dive into that a little bit um, later here, but yeah, I I think people are still trying to figure it out. It's just still so new that some coaches just get it and are crushing it early. And I think some coaches are still trying to figure out this new college football because it is a whole different world and um, a different philosophy that you have to go by to be successful. Um, But let's move on to something that really just broke um, today, uh, just shortly before we came on here. There was more news tonight. Casey Legg announces he will be officially retiring from the game of football. He has been at WVU since 2018, and he's ready to move on to the next chapter in his life. Um, But just to give you some background, Casey does have an incredible story. After being a standout soccer player at a high school that doesn't have a football team, he walked on to the Mountaineers and earned a scholarship during the 2021 season. And um, he put up some good stats during his time. He made 40 field goals on 49 attempts over the course of his career. Um, he could have returned for one more season. I'm looking on social media. A lot of people don't realize that. Um, he could because he redshirted in 2018. And of course, the 2020 COVID year doesn't count against your eligibility. So um, technically, he could have played one more year. But it seems like this is just a decision by a smart young man who is going to graduate with a master's degree in business in May, if everything works out, which I'm sure it will. Um, And he had a great career here. So we wish him all the best. It just seems like, you know, he's matured and he's ready to kind of move on with his life. Yeah, that I mean, I couldn't appreciate Casey like more. I know um, several times in the past couple of years, I've uh, said he was the offensive MVP and 
you know, he was definitely the most consistent offensive contributor. Um, you alluded to his over 80% um, field goal percentage and, you know, I can't, he didn't really miss many extra points either. Um, so, I mean, it's great to have a reliable kicker like that. And I can think back to times where we just didn't have someone who could reliably make kicks for us. And, you know, it's just a miserable experience. So I'm definitely going to miss Casey. I really hope that we have someone else lined up who can, you know, at least do three quarters of a good of a job as he did, because um, he really had a great run here at, at WVU and it would have been great to have him back for one more year. Um, just because he's a great mountaineer. He has a great story and he was a fantastic, consistent contributor for us. Yeah, I'm with you. You really took the words right out of my mouth. I mean, you could argue he was our offensive MVP this entire season. And, um, you know, people who have short memories, I know he had a rough patch these last couple games, but don't remember him for that. Because in terms of consistency, he probably was our most consistent offensive player throughout this whole year. He went 14 for 15 on the season. You can't ask much more than that from your kicker. Just one missed field goal. And, um, you know, Neil Brown, he's the type of coach who likes to play things close to his vest. And, you know, if if Casey Legg was not as good as he was, you're looking at even less wins during this Neil Brown <laughs> tenure because, um, you know, of so many one possession games that we've had. So hats off to Casey Legg. He's been consistent. Do I think he could have been an NFL kicker? Probably not. He only had one kick of over 50 yards his entire career. It was a huge one against K-State in 2019, but, um, you know, I, I he, he's a great college kicker, but I think even Casey knows. He, he wasn't going to have a long career in the NFL, and so, you know, uh, this is a grind on those college kids. I, I think he's just ready to get out in the real world and start killing it there. So, like you said, hats off to him. He, he's a smart guy. He knows what he wants, and uh, – He's got a lot of good qualities, so thanks for his time here, and we wish him all the best. Absolutely. So um, we're going to do a little segment here. This is called our Christmas Wish List. Uh, we'll call it the Voice of Motown Podcast Christmas Wish List for WVU football. This is Brandon and I's top three things we want to see during the offseason and for the 2023 season. And uh, we're going to count down, starting with number three. I want to see WVU bring in several transfers from other Power 5 schools. And we, we, we're we already seeing Neil Brown going after Power 5 guys. Getting a bunch of um, FCS transfers didn't really help WVU, quote-unquote, win the portal last year. And obviously, you can find talent in the FCS. We, we mentioned earlier, Dana proved that when he was here. But to really win the portal this offseason, I think WVU needs to pull in some quality Power 5 transfers. And I'm not even going to say that should be your strategy every single season. But we're, we're seeing an all-time high of Power 5 players looking for new homes this offseason. And so um, much like how Bob Huggins struggled getting quality players through the portal initially, um look at what he's doing this year you know you know he hit a home run and it, it it looks like he has a quality team so i think wvu football can do the same thing i think they've had a year to kind of really figure it out and this is the year they need to hit a home run so um hopefully neil brown and his coaching staff are attacking it aggressively if you follow what they're doing on social media it looks like they are 
Um, so that's encouraging. But um, it, it's one thing to seek these guys out. It's, it's another to actually get him to commit here. So we'll see what happens over these next few weeks. But uh, for my top three, um, that's definitely one thing I want to see. I want to see him pull in power five transfers. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it'd be great to get some of those higher um, pedigree guys in here. And I think that would really help fill some of the gaps that we have. Um, number three for me is a little bit more of a, something to provide peace of mind to fans. So, you know, we all know Neil Brown's coming back. And I think what we need to have is you know, show that even though Neil's coming back, we are still holding some people accountable for the whatever we want to call 2022 season. And I, I think they need to fire and replace at least Shadon Brown, Sean Reagan, and Jeff Coons, who are, who are guys like, um, I think, Shadon Brown, who has been the secondaries coach over the past two years where we've just had a deluge of transfers. Um, our secondary has not improved underneath him. Um, Jeff Coons, the linebacking coach, special teams coach, hasn't really been great outside of Casey Legg underneath of him. Sean Reagan, I don't exactly know what he does. He's a tight ends coach. He was a quarterback's coach. He just kind of feels like he's taken up space. Um, so, you know, let's fill those roles with guys who can actually coach up guys, who can recruit at a higher level. Just bring something of value to the team. Um, you know, if I made this list, Last year, I would have had Matt Moore on it, but I feel like the offensive line has shown improvement, so I'm keeping him off the chopping block for now. But at least those three guys, I think that you can make huge strides in terms of player development and potentially even player retention by replacing those three guys with guys who you know, can provide faith that we are looking to strengthen weaknesses of our current coaching staff. Yeah, I think you make a good point. It's really hard to sell the fan base that you are going to bring back the same exact coaching staff and and have different results. It's hard to believe they'll bring back the same mindset, the same coaching, and do a 180. So I'm with you. Um, you know, you look at the offensive side of the ball. There's not really a lot of guys there that I would want to see go. You mentioned Matt Moore, and of course he was a guy – uh, he's been brought up a lot on this podcast last season in 2021, but um, for this year, I'll give him credit. You know, he, he, he seemed to have those guys trending in the right direction. So I would be fine with him coming back, but I think you're right. There's certain people on that defensive coaching staff that uh, someone needs to be held accountable. And if it's not going to be Jordan Leslie, who does have, you know, a history of being successful here, then it's got to be some of those other guys. I mean, uh, the secondary has not played well. And um, whose fault is it? If it's not Leslie's, then you got to look at those position coaches. I'm, I'm 100% with you there. Someone needs to be held accountable. And it, you can't just say it was Shane Lyons. <laughs> right? <laughs> Which I feel like that's what they're trying to sell us on. That, oh, you know, we got rid of him and now it's all going to be better. It's like, well, he's not out there coaching the secondary. So I hope um, not. <laughs> that would make a lot of sense if he was. Um, the second thing on my wish list wish list is, um, and I've mentioned this in the past, I want to see the offense establish some type of identity. In Neil's four years, I have not seen a weekend, week-out identity in WVU's offense. Um, and, and yeah, I hate to keep bringing up the old guys, but when Rich Rod was here, when Dana was here, everybody knew exactly what WVU wanted to do. 
Um, but it was hard to stop. I mean, even the opponents knew exactly what our strategy was going to be, but they, you know, it, they just got so good at sticking with it and getting good at their strengths that it was almost perfected. And, you know, opponents had a hard time stopping it. Um, and Neil just doesn't seem to have that. You could say this 2022 team wanted to establish the run and control clock, but um, they, they didn't always do that. I mean, look at the Texas game. They threw eight out of the first nine plays through the ball. So you're not, they went three and out doing that. You're not establishing the run doing that against Iowa state. They only had 12 halfback carries and that was a tight game up until like the last 10 minutes. Um, so you're not establishing the run there. So what is our identity? If it's a team that plays slow tempo and lets the clock run down and can't hit a home run play to save its life, then I would say it's time to establish a new identity on offense. Um, because honestly, that's how I would label our offense. And it just seems lost. All four of these years, I just don't know what our offense is. And I would love to see us from game one to game 12 have some type of consistency and execute it. That's my second wish. Oh, for sure. I, I couldn't agree with that one more. And, you know, uh, to put an analogy to it, it's kind of like um, Denzel Washington's character on Remember the Titans um, carrying around the playbook with only eight plays in it, except for the differences Neil Brown is carrying in that playbook and doesn't have the personnel to run those plays. Um, and it just doesn't work. I mean, you know, we've made comments and numerous people have made comments about how we're running zone read concepts without a running quarterback. And, you know, we're doing all sorts of other kind of strange things without the guys to run it. I mean, we run bubble screens to guys who just don't have the the physical abilities to, break something free. Um, Caden Prather had that, but Bryce Ford Wheaton struggled with it at times. Um, it's just kind of baffling as to how they scheme things up. It's like they just have a set of plays that they don't change or run or rewrite or rework regardless of the personnel. And that was what made Dana a great offensive mind. That's what made Rich Rod a great offensive mind is they took the personnel that they had and they adjusted their offensive around them. I mean, whenever Dana had Skylar Howard, we ran a little bit more. Whenever he had Will Greer, we passed more. Whenever we had speed guys, we would go more vertical. And we had Tavon Austin, we would use him on every position in the field as possible. I mean, that's just what great offensive coaches do. Um, again, I'm not trying to say that, you know, we should have Dana back. Um, I think we would be better with Dana, but I, I certainly don't want Dana as a head coach right now. But, you know, the offense the offensive aspect is it's there and there's, I don't know how many people as part of that air raid coaching tree, whether it's a quarterback's coach for someone at like Texas tech or USC now, or Oklahoma or a tight ends coach or a wide receivers coach or a running backs coach. I mean, there's people out there that you could bring in who know those playbook front and back and could implement something that's more exciting than what we have now. Um, I understand that, you know, maybe it's something foreign, maybe it's something that isn't the coaching staff isn't comfortable with, but we need something. And I feel like when we have either a really exciting offense or a really smash mouth defense, it gets the fans more involved and gets us all more excited too. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And I love that you highlighted the fact that, you know, Dana's known for his air raid, but you're right. When we had, you know, Wendell Smallwood and Skylar Howard, they ran a lot. 
And, you know, Wendell had an amazing year and it was still an effective offense, but they were still stretching the field with deep passes with Skyler. So, I mean, even though he's known for throwing it, he looked at his personnel, he adjusted, and they still put up points. Um, You're 100% right. I feel like Neil just does not do that. No, no. And that kind of um, leads into my number two a little bit. And so this one is more related to the transfer portal. And I just want them to kind of focus really hard at wide receiver and corner. Um, Originally on my list, I just had cornerback because we really need cornerbacks. But since Caden Prather left, we really need wide receivers now. So I want to go out there and, and to your point, you know, about power five guys. I don't care if it's a power five guy. I don't care if it's a G5. I want someone who has produced before who can go out there and do something. I don't want necessarily someone who's caught, you know, 200 passes and had a thousand yards and is only averaging like five yards a catch. I want like a legit receiver who can get separation, who can, you know, make big plays. I want someone with pedigree there. And on defense, you know, for cornerbacks, It'd be great to have a lockdown guy, but I would just settle for two rock solid guys who may get beat every now and then. But, you know, more times than not, 75 percent of the time they're going to do their job. And that would be a huge improvement over last year. And I think if you, you know, even if you had those two two corners that were reliable this year, you're probably talking about maybe one or two more wins at the least. Yeah, if you do that, you're in a bowl game. And honestly, you know, even if you're six and six, that would honestly change a lot of fans' outlook because we're looking forward to a bowl game now. And it it really changes everything. Um, So, yeah, you nailed it. And um, for our number ones, my number one is I hope Ren Baker is decisive. Um, I'm rooting for Neil Brown to succeed this upcoming year. But if it's clear it's not working, then I want to see Ren make the decision well before this, the end of the season. Kind of like, you know, how it looked like they almost, you know, muffed the GM uh, whole situation this year by waiting too late. I, th- I think we'll know everything we need to know sometime between, you know, the sixth game, the ninth game, even the ninth game is kind of late. But, um, you know, I think after that sixth game, that's the sweet spot for me when you should start considering what you're going to do next year. If WVU is sitting at two and four, or if we go all the way to the ninth game and they're three and six like they were this year, then it's time to make the decision and start the coaching search. Get the new coach in there as soon as possible, just like Colorado did this year, just like Nebraska did, etc. Get ahead of everyone else. Um, again, I'm rooting for Neil Brown to succeed. I want WVU to keep the players that they have to win with this coaching staff, but if it's not working, then it's time to just start new with the portal programs can have quick turnarounds. I mean, look Mm -hmm. at those teams I just mentioned. Um, it doesn't look like they're in real fear that they're going to have a three, four year setback. They're already hitting the portal and, and rebuilding to have a quick turnaround. So um, that's my biggest wish. If it looks like Neil Brown and this coaching staff is not working, make the decision. Don't sit around and put us in a weird spot, like kind of like how we were this year. Yeah, I mean, mine's just basically a different version of what you said, where, you know, I just want expectations without excuses. I want, you know, this past offseason, I think what made things worse and poured salt in the wound was Gordon Gee coming out and saying, you know, well, we played a tough schedule, blah, blah, blah. Five and seven is good considering the circumstances, blah, blah, blah. 
And I think that just drained a lot of fans energy. I know for me, it brought me down to like, man, do I even like care anymore? <laughs> like, it seems like you don't care, Gordon. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think regardless of the situation, you know, right now we don't have a number one wide receiver. If we don't get one in the portal or someone who's capable, I don't want that to be an excuse. I don't want it to be an excuse if we can't lure talent for the secondary to rebuild that. I don't want it to be an excuse if CJ Donaldson goes down again and we, you know, somehow have a lot of attrition in our running back room and we're down to one or two guys who just can't handle the workload. Um, I don't want it to be an excuse if Nico starts and he just makes basically freshman mistakes. You know, that's kind of the situation you put yourself into. Um, I want this year to be a, a year where basically they say bowl game or bust. And that's the standard they hold them to, regardless of the situation. You know, you built your team. These are your guys. Go out there and do something with them. Um, and, you know, I do feel like there is some hope for that. I know in a recent interview that Ren Baker did, he noted that, you know, he doesn't necessarily believe in firm expectations. You know, obviously there are different factors to consider, but he also alluded to the fact that um, he felt like Gordon Gee was misinterpreted, which I think this was more of just a cover-up for – what Gordon said, but he said, you know, um, nobody thinks five and seven is acceptable. And, you know, we just wanted to say that, you know, we we're proud of our guys for going out there and playing hard. Um, so I, I feel like Ren is kind of trying to handle it elegantly and he understands what the fans expectations are um, and he'll handle it. And I do think that I do have faith for now that he's not going to let things get out of hand with Neil and let excuses kind of rule his world. Like, Shane Lyons and Gordon Gee have done in the past four or five months. I'm with you. Yeah, he's a good speaker. You nailed that. I mean, anytime you watch an interview with him, it seems like he knows exactly what to say and how to say it. So I give him credit for that. But um, I'm with you. I, I don't think he's going to let his career and his reputation um, take a spiral for one guy, one guy that he just met. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I'm with you. If it looks like it's going south, I think he's going to start saying to himself, okay, who are the guys I trust? Who do I want to bring in and kind of build around them um, for my reputation? And so uh, I'm with you there. So hopefully that's the way it goes. Like I said, I mean, I know it seems like doom and glooms on our mind, but uh, we want this team to win. But if they're not, it just seems like everyone is so hesitant to pull the trigger on anyone and everything. And I'm over that. You know, if it's not working, make a change. Yeah, I mean, we're all I mean, we live in West Virginia and, you know, I know WVU fans are all over the world. But I mean, it's out of any other sports team. It's my our number one. I mean, I'd rather watch WVU than watch the Steelers or any NBA team or any hockey team or any other football team. I mean, I want to watch the Mountaineers. That's my home state. That's what I love. And that's what I enjoy watching. And so we have standards for that, especially, you know, people like me and Tyler who have grown up and haven't really seen a lot of bad times in Mountaineer history. I mean, I can't remember too many losing seasons outside of, you know, these past few and then one with Dana and then one with Rich Rod and maybe one with Don Nealon as well. But I mean, you know, losing isn't something that's in, West Virginia fans mind so it's important to us and it should be to every other fan out there that we get this right and we put ourselves on the right track to succeed because it has value you know it's said probably too many times but WVU sports are West Virginia's professional sports teams 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you nailed it. I couldn't have said it any better. I mean, this is just, it's our whole life. I mean, we're sitting here making a podcast in our free time because we love this stuff. And so we do have high expectations. I don't understand these fans who are just like, Hey, he's a good guy. This is just how it is. It's just a game. It's not just a game. Yeah. You know? no. People spend money on this. People go to the games. They like plan their whole like six months out of the year around this stuff. It's not just a game. Uh, it's more important than that to us. And uh, if it's not to other people, well, then those people need to step aside and make room for us who put and put it on a pedestal. Um, that, that I, I don't want to sound like an elitist, but that's kind of how I feel about it. Like if this doesn't mean anything to you, then step aside. You're not part of this conversation. Yeah. Just, I mean, pipe down. Don't yell at us for being passionate. There's nothing wrong with being passionate. <laughs> yeah. I'm with you there. Um, so let's shift gears a little bit, guys. We're going to talk about basketball. Since the last time we recorded, the Mountaineer basketball team has picked up victories over Navy and UAB. Their next game will be against Buffalo on, I wrote down Saturday. Is it Saturday or Sunday? I thought it was Sunday. Sunday. Yeah, okay. I, I thought I wrote that wrong. Yeah, it's next Sunday. So looking back at the victories, um, the UAB game was a fun one to watch. Um, I thought the guards did a nice job of keeping Jordan Walker in check. That's UAB's top score. Um, Kitty Johnson and Joe Troussant had nice games, not only on the defensive end, but they had 31 combined points as well. So when you add in the big contributions from those guards and from Emmett Matthews and Trey Mitchell, who had 29 points between the two of them, it just adds up to a winning, winning formula. But um I don't know. I mean, that game kind of got me pumped for Big 12 play because it was just a fun one to watch back and forth. Quality players playing against each other. I love that game. Oh, yeah. UAB is a good team. I mean, they were undefeated going into that game. And I don't know, WVU this year, I feel like the really only the question mark is which big men are going to work best at Big 12 play. I mean, Jimmy Bell's had his moments. Um, Waggy um, has been kind of waning a little bit. We've seen a little bit of a conquu, but every other position, I mean, I feel like we're too deep everywhere else. I mean, Emmett Matthews has been way better than what I thought he would be coming in. Joe Toussaint is to bring off the bench. Ketty has been scoring more consistently last year. He was struggling to make free throws. And this year, I mean, his offensive game is completely revitalized. Um, Eric Stevenson, you know, he didn't have necessarily the best game last um, against UAB, but still, you know, his shooting percentages for the season are still absurd. And my favorite player, still, uh, Trey Mitchell, is just kind of a do-it-all guy who can score a little bit from outside, but is just great at finding his shots inside the perimeter. And, you know, the stat that most impressed me from the UAB game is I think he had five assists as well to go with his, I think, Mm -hmm. what, 16 points and six rebounds. So um, he's unselfish. And I think, at least offensively, he is our most talented offensive player. And having someone like that on top of the other I don't know, four or five, six guys that are just regular contributors and can each go off for 10 or 15 points on their own. I mean, this team seems like it has depth. Um, We don't have to worry about going on droughts because we have six or seven guys who can score. Um, They all play hard. They all play defense. I mean, I can't really ask for much more at this point in the season. Yeah, I think you nailed it. Um, yeah, that was probably the biggest win WVU has had so far this season. Um, you know, they, they only had one loss. I think it was to Toledo prior to that. But um, 
other than that, they've looked great. And we've seen in the past two years, UAB typically has a respectable team. So, um, yeah, that's a great a good coach. Yeah, and a good coach. Um, him and Bob Huggins have some type of history. I'm kind of blanking on what it is. I know they highlighted it a lot last year. Um, but, yeah, WVU scored 11 more points from the line than UAB and for seven more turnovers. So just a solid, well-rounded effort from the entire team. And you already mentioned them. Someone else um, who I wanted to highlight was Jimmy Bell. Some people were questioning where he would fit with this team. And I'll admit, I was one of those skeptics early on. But uh, he has 23 points and 20 rebounds in his last three games. And it's against quality opponents. Xavier was a tough team. You know, Navy's not up there with Xavier, but, you know, they, they had a decent team. And then, of course, UAB. So he's putting up those stats against quality guys, and he's earning more playing time, too. He's averaging 24 minutes over these last three games after averaging just 13 minutes in the first seven prior. Um, and so he's earning his spot into this lineup. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how he holds up against Big 12 play. I think that'll be the real test. But, um, you know, I like what I see lately. And, and he's he's not just being given time. He He's really earning his way into that lineup. And I love to see that. Yeah, I think what helps him most is physically, um, you know, it's quite obvious that he's probably the most physically ready. You know, he can handle the workload. He can handle the banging down low. That's the thing I think that holds back Waggy a lot is he's, you know, 6'10", but he weighs like 220. I mean, he needs to put on another like 20, 25 pounds. He's a stick. Um, Okonkwo is a little bit bigger, but I don't think he's necessarily like a, a down low post guy either. He can come out on the perimeter a little bit. He can shoot. He's a little bit more athletic. Um, I don't necessarily think that he's built to be that low post presence like Bell is. So, um, you know, I think Bell could, could really do well against teams that play more of a traditional center in big 12 play. I think he can do great there. I mean, I think he did a really good job against Edie, even though Edie had a solid game against us, he held his own. And that surprised me because Edie is a freaking statue. He's a monster. Like, I don't know how you can guard him, but um, yeah, I mean, he, he, he's impressed me. Um, I, I came into the season thinking, you know, how's a 280 pound guy going to exist in Huggins system, but he's, He's worked hard and, um, you know, I think he's going to continue to get better and I'm excited to see how he progresses in big 12 play, um, especially against some of the more athletic teams with athletic front lines. Like, I don't know if Oklahoma state or Baylor are going to run something similar to what they did last year, but those teams play a little bit smaller and would just run smaller forwards down there. And it's going to be interesting to see how he holds up against there, or if we can turn the tides a little bit and say, you know, we're giving the ball to bell in the post, who are you going to have guard him? Yeah. Yeah. I think you nailed it. And, you know, teams like that, he might struggle against a little bit, but it's nice to actually have a big body. I feel like we were missing that big time last year, having a big physical guy in the middle and we just got crushed in big 12 play. You know, teams were just going in, getting uncontested layups. And I, I, I feel like bell is an answer for that now. And um, another guy, hopefully Jose, Jose Perez will become eligible soon. It, you know, they were predicting it would be around, this time of the year, he would gain eligibility. And, you know, everything I've read and heard from other talk shows was, we still don't really know when he's going to become eligible. They're, they don't know what the holdup is, but um, hopefully it is within the next couple of weeks. Um, 
And it'll be nice to have another shooter on. The only thing you got to question is hopefully he doesn't disrupt how this team is gelling right now. But uh, you can never complain about having another solid shooter. Granted, he did it at, you know, Manhattan, a lower level competition. But uh, I'll be excited to see how he kind of fits in um, with how this team's playing right now. Yeah, I mean, I feel like he knows what he's getting into. Um you know, and, and I'm sure he wants to come in and win, not necessarily come in here and it to be the Jose Perez show like it was in Manhattan. Um, you know, that that was a good experience for him because it helped him learn how to lead a team, how to play offense and things like that. He was the center of the offense of that team. Um, so coming in to WVU, I, I feel like he'd be another great guy to just kind of throw into our rotation and, you know, let him contribute when we need him. Um, as long as he can play defense, I think he'll fit in well. Um, as long as he's not trying to be the the primary initiator of the offense on every possession. I think he'll have opportunities for plenty to touches. Um, he just needs to let it come to him. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. So, yeah, these next few weeks of basketball should be exciting. And uh, the last thing we wanted to touch on tonight, guys, was um, I'm, I'm sure you've heard by now, but Texas Longhorn head coach Chris Beard was arrested for a felony family violence charge after a woman told police he strangled and bit her on Monday morning. And when I say Monday morning, it was it was really like Sunday night. I mean, I think he was booked at 4 a.m. So I'm not exactly sure when all this occurred, but it was very, very late Sunday into early morning Monday. Um, the school has suspended Beard without pay until further notice. I don't think that's a shock to anyone, but just a wild, wild fall from grace for a guy who just took Texas Tech to a national championship game a few years ago. And now um, he seems to have the Texas Longhorns playing at an elite level again. And um, it, it seemed like his stock was just going up, 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 and up. And then, you know, something terrible like this happens. So what are your thoughts? And is Chris Beard a big enough name to survive this? Because we, we know how much he's wanted in college basketball by everyone because he's such a good coach. But, you know, most people would be immediately fired after an incident like this. Is his name big enough to survive this? I think that's a tough question just because, I mean, he, he's a real up-and-comer and he's won a lot, but he hasn't won when it mattered yet. Obviously, getting to the championship is a huge step. Um, that's big for him. He's shown he can build a program up pretty quickly. But... You know, the big question is, is, you know, if he would get fired, is another team going to give him the opportunity? You know, if you look at other guys with bad reputations, guys like Rick Pitino um, and his recruiting scandals, um, he came back to the NCAA after all that. He still hung around to Louisville for a while. Um, you also have guys like Bruce Pearl, but it was, again, recruiting stuff. So, I mean, he got a job in Auburn after um, his stint at Tennessee. Um I'm trying to think if there's really anyone else that um, I can think of. Maybe the only other similar situation. It's not even that similar. Um, well, maybe there's two other similar situations. There's Art Bryles with Baylor, who I don't know what's going on with him, but um, I don't even think he's coaching anymore. But He's um, blackballed, essentially, because yeah. I forget, a lower-level college hired him, and then within days they fired him because of That's the backlash. Right. So he's at like a high school somewhere. I mean, that's what I mean. Like he's completely blackballed. It, I, I can't imagine that happening to Chris Beard. But in today's world, um, 
you know, if you get enough backlash from fans and, you know, social media and stuff, your hands are kind of tied sometimes. Yeah. I mean, really the only other guy I can think of that's similar is maybe Hugh Freeze. And a lot of that is just, you know, sex workers. So, um, you know, Art Bryles might be the closest and he wasn't even directly involved there. But I mean, if you look at back at what Art Bryles did, whenever he was head coach, I mean, Baylor was a top five program. They never won a championship, which is very similar to Chris Beard and he's, he's done. So um, even if charges are dropped, it's going to be interesting to see what Texas does. I could see them keeping him, but I also could see them just saying, Hey, we have enough money to go out there and get whoever we want. So it's going to be really interesting to see what the donors say. And I know people think of Texas and think, think of, you know, conservative values, but Austin's actually a, a pretty liberal town within Texas. So he may be out. I know they said they're going to wait till the investigation's done. Um, but the woman has already said she wants to drop charges. Um, but it just seems like this could be a really huge mark on Chris Beard's career. And it should be, I mean, you can't lay your hands on a woman. You just can't. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And, uh, you know, naturally and unsurprising his defense lawyer thinks he, you know, should have never been arrested and that the charges should have never been filed. As you mentioned, the woman who I read earlier, it's either his girlfriend or fiance is, um, like you said, trying to backtrack everything now. So we'll see. Um, I do she think he might word. What's the so, Jesus. <laughs> I, I do think he might be a big enough name uh, to sweep this under the rug. I, I think he's real close to having that a big enough prestige to maybe do that, um, which I know is even a messed up way to look at this situation because obviously, you know, there was a woman abused in this story, and it seems like there are much bigger problems with these two people's lives if an incident led to this. You know, it's not like. I'm sure this didn't just fall out of the sky. I'm sure there's been several little things that lead up to situations like this. So um, I, I just hope they both get the help that they needed. And uh, it was definitely a shocking story to read about and worth mentioning on the podcast. But uh, I'm not sure how I feel about it. I don't know how this is going to shake out. Yeah, I mean, if, if I think if I was in charge of the situation, even if it's just an allegation, I mean... I would probably fire him. I mean, I look at the way that the Deshaun Watson thing's going out. It's all in civil cases. It's all getting settled. But even if Deshaun Watson was my employee, I would fire him if I knew all that stuff was going on. And, you know, strangling someone and biting them, that's a little extreme. Um, I wouldn't want to have that risk because if it happens once, what's stopping it from happening again, especially if the charges are dropped? Now, the one thing I was thinking that might be saving grace is – you know, even if the woman wants to drop charges, the d district attorney can still continue to press charges without her pressing charges because the DA can press charges instead. Um, now, would an Austin-based district attorney do that against the University of Texas's head basketball coach? No. We don't know. Yeah, <laughs> doubtful. But still, um, I think it sets good precedent to, you know, fire him because – those are things that we shouldn't be, you know, and, and, and outside of just basketball. But I mean, there are kids out there who look up to some of these coaches as role models and you don't want someone like that leading a basketball team that probably millions of kids who are Texas fans, especially if they're good, are going to look up to and say, you know, 
I would love to be a coach like that one day, or I want to play for that guy, you know, that you need to nip that in the butt before it gets started. Oh yeah. 100%. I mean, look at how we opened the show talking about how revered Mike Leach was with everyone, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And so, yeah, these guys are polarizing and they are role models. And so you make a good point, you know, sometimes you need to make an example that, you know, you're not above these actions, no matter who you are, or what you do. Yep. You know, if he wants to rehabilitate himself and go through all the steps and start donating and, you know, just show that he's changed and he's made steps to improve after getting fired, then yeah, maybe he can work his way back up, but you got to take those steps first. You got to improve. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, and that's it for us, guys. I hope you enjoyed this show. Remember what we said at the top. Um, you know, let us know what you think. Let us know what topics you want us to cover. If you want us to have any guests, typically us or Brad can get a hold of people and get them on the show. So just let us know what you want to hear in these upcoming months. And as always, thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks, everyone. See you next time.